Happy New Year and welcome to the first Monkey See Monkey Review podcast of 2021. Now, if you've listened to us before, welcome back. Thank you very much for your repeat business. <laughs> and if you're new to the podcast, come on in, make yourself at home. Uh, now, I'm Scott, and normally I'm joined each time out by one or more of other members of the MSMR family to talk films. However, on this occasion, you've got just me. Uh, so I'm going to be taking you through a quick retrospective of my 2020 in film. Uh, it's going to be a reflection of what I've seen this year and things that are kind of my highlights for the year. Now, just as a quick caveat, unfortunately, for this year, the list isn't going to be as exhaustive as I would have liked. I'm not going to utter the dreaded C word, but it's kind of safe to say that the pandemic has curtailed my abilities to watch a lot of the cinematic releases for the year. And what I've also noticed is there are a lot of the really interesting indie releases from the year that are getting great streaming releases but unfortunately uh, my access to those services has been somewhat limited but I am hopefully looking forward to catching up on some of those and you know I build my uh, to watch list for 2021. So on to 2020 now there will be four films from this year that will be conspicuous by their absence from today's podcast that's because uh, the podcast following this one uh, will be our first team effort of 2021 and featuring uh, the whole team's own picks for their top three of 2020 as well really excitingly as our preview and the films we're most looking forward to in the coming year and now my list of highlights for the year that i'm going to be taking through today won't be in any particular order but i'm going to be taking you through a range of films from things that you know i've really loved from this year uh, that i've enjoyed immensely or that have just taken me by surprise oh you know indeed both now it's only fair that we give the year just gone you know, a little bit of coverage and a little bit of positivity. It hasn't been a great year for everybody, but there has been some good stuff coming out of it. So we're going to work with what we've got. Now, essentially, I'm going to be splitting this review into two slightly. The first part of it, we're going to be covering films that we've already covered in the podcast uh, in the last year, because uh, the podcast is nearly one year old. Goodness me. Uh, so... We've already discussed those at some length, so I'm not going to take too much time on those. But uh, I won't be detailing the worst film of the year because, uh, you know, we're all about the positivity here. So if you really, really want to know what that is, just drop me a line on uh, some of the social media and I might just impart that with you. And then the second part of the podcast is we're going to be talking about some of the films that we've not had the opportunity to talk about on Monkey See Monkey Review that I've really enjoyed in various degrees. So on to my first batch of films. Now I'm going to touch on those, as I say, that we've already covered in the podcast over the past year. And so we're going to start with two horrors from the beginning of 2020. Firstly, I'm going with The Lighthouse, directed by Robert Eggers and starring Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. And certainly one of the most individual experiences of the year unfolds if you've not had a chance to experience it like some kind of brine-soaked nightmare. It's by turns uncomfortable, fascinating, and dumbfounding as well. Uh, it's uh, it's a really, really interesting experience of a film, and two monumentally great central performances as well. The other, uh, which we talked about in our first 
podcast is The Invisible Man, uh, Lee Wanell's efficient economic horror, far less grimy beast than uh, The Lighthouse was, but uh, far more kind of classically entertaining. It feels like uh, a bit of a bit of a throwback to the last time 12 months ago when you could have a good old Friday night multiplex crowd pleaser. Uh, could you remember those where you could all sit together in a big room and watch a film? Uh, imperfect. Yes, it is. You could pick holes with the plot, but you know what? It's far, far more fun than I expected it was going to be. And Elizabeth Moss in the central role is fabulous. So two horrors to start the year that you know I had to, had a hell of a lot of time for. Now we touched upon Taika Waititi's coming of age World War Two comedy drama Jojo Rabbit a couple of podcasts ago, but in the context of the year. Jojo Rabbit for me is one of again one of the most interesting movies of the year but you know at points incredibly funny really really sort of heartfelt but also absolutely devastating as well uh Roman Griffin Davis is great as Jojo Betzler as is the rest of the ensemble around him uh, Taika Waititi himself Scarlett Johansson is absolutely luminous in it and as we discussed a couple of podcasts ago, any excuse to put Sam Rockwell in a film is a positive by me. And he is, again, one of the highlights of the whole film. And it's, uh, you know, it's a remarkable thing to see a mainstream movie tackling such a topic with, you know, a comic version of Hitler front and centre could almost be viewed as you know, quite brave. Now, the next film uh, is another one we talked about a couple of podcasts ago, and it's the, the Beastie Boys story, directed by long-term Beasties collaborator and director Spike Jones. It's my documentary pick for the year. Normally, I see something documentary-based that absolutely grabs me, and this is the one for me. Uh, recorded in New York in front of a live audience, which feels like an unusual step for this type of documentary and for, for such such a story. But the live audience adds an extra energy and frisson to it. And it also helps that Ad-Rock and Mike D, Ad-Rock particularly, are two such charismatic hosts, uh, carrying us through the story of the group with great warm wit and insight. And, you know, no shortage of emotion, probably unsurprisingly, when they do give a tribute to the much-missed Adam Yauch, otherwise known as MCA. And, yeah, it's... Uh, if you're a fan of the Beastie Boys story, if you're a fan of the Beastie Boys themselves, or you know you're interested in nineties hip hop, and they were such a, a trailblazing band as well, it's I can't recommend it enough. So moving on, uh, again another one uh, myself and Kev discussed at length a couple of episodes ago was Aaron Sorkin's courtroom drama, The Trial of Chicago Seven. It's worth mentioning again. Um, I am aware that. Since it came out, the film's coming for a little bit of a, a backlash since the initial wave of largely sort of positive reviews, partially around kind of some of the, the accuracy, the portrayal around the, the Central Seven characters. But for me, I stick with my initial reaction when I watched it. I found it a real kind of barnstorming, enjoyable, infuriating watch, bolstered by some really, really great performances. Whether it comes in for any Oscar attention, come. Uh, February, March time this year, we don't know, but yeah, it's a it's a great piece of entertainment. Now moving on to our next film, and it might be a bit of a spoiler for the next episode to say that this 
next film is going to be the only Pixar film I'm listing today. At least armed with that knowledge, I won't get any uh, where's soul comments. But rest assured, believe me, the reviews are coming. Uh, but I am talking about the really, really lovely Onward, which was released just uh, around the beginning of the year, the first quarter of the year. Uh, what a one-two punch Pixar hit us with uh, in 2020. Onwards was slightly stymied by the uncertainty of the world and its release timing. Um, but what the studio and had done is taken a really simple but delightfully inventive story and weaved not only an entertaining fantasy but also a really really touching story around family and loss and that making up for lost time with it's just a, an absolutely beautiful ending that most definitely did not make my eyes leak and anybody that tells you differently is a big liar also going to give a really quick shout out again for Get Duked, which was another film that we reviewed in the last three podcasts. It's uh, got to give it a shout out for Ninian Dorf's bonkers, brilliant comedy because, you know, it sneaked onto Amazon Prime and I think it could do with a bit of a bigger audience because it's, it's really engaging, visually really arresting, really excellent. Uh, Dorf, I think, is going to be one to watch because there's some really lovely inventive touches with, with certainly the visual style around the film. And it's also got some really nice witty dialogue as well. And I have to say, some of the best visual comedy of the year. I genuinely did embarrassingly loud blurt laughs on more than one occasion throughout the course of Get Duped. Uh, so please give it a chance and check it out on Amazon Prime. Finally, and you don't mean, need me to go on too long about this because I reviewed it in the last episode, but in the list of films I've enjoyed most this year, Mank has got to be included because it's always great to have Fincher back. And what he's done is he's crafted uh, an affectionate homage to 1940s and 1930s and 1940s cinema whilst also drawing some really scary relevant parallels today and drawing out some great performances particularly from Gary Oldman as the man himself as a, you know in a fascinating story about a really fascinating man now I'm going to move on to the things that we've not really talked about this year on the podcast and some of the things that I found to be particular highlights there might be a couple of surprising ones in there for you but uh yeah, hopefully, hopefully you'll have got something out of them as well. Uh, the first one is uh, now I'm going to preface this by saying that it feels like such a long time ago that I sat down to watch Little Women, but then I actually realised it has been pretty much a, a full year uh, from the point that I'm recording this to when I first saw it at the cinema. Uh, but it's one that stayed with me, and in fact, kind of grown in stature in my mind in that time. It was most certainly one of those scenarios when I went in not expecting to embrace it as wholeheartedly as the critical response had been for it and once again I think it kind of shows me you know, as a personal comment of myself that I just need to stop thinking in terms of the sorts of films that I would regard as my kind of film. The clues to the quality should have been in the pedigree of the talent involved in the film. Greta Gerwig who directs, I mean, she follows it, her delightful directorial debut of Lady Bird with this, as well as penning what turned out to be an Academy Award-nominated screenplay, which, and by changing up the chronology of the film um, and, and making a few light changes, finds a really fresh new way to, to tell an age-old story. Although I do think she's 
a little hard done by because she didn't even collect a nomination for her efforts in directing, and it is it's you know such a lovely film. She's also backed herself up with admirably packing the cast with absolute talent. Uh, so including Emma Watson, Eliza Scanlon, Timothy Chalamet, the utterly brilliant Laura Dern and Meryl Streep, and Chris Cooper, among others. But central to this, and again, rightfully nominated, were Saoirse Ronan following Gerwig over from Lady Bird, who's I mean, she's just as brilliant as she always is. Uh, and Florence Pugh, who once again proves her versatility and marks her out as an absolutely nailed on breakout star. Uh, she really is. Uh, just consider within one year prior to Little Women, she'd also played the role of uh, former WWE superstar Paige in the underrated, really lovely, entertaining Fighting With My Family. And also is a total barnstormer in Midsummer, which listeners to previous episodes will know that I'm a, a big, big fan of. And then the other side of Little Women, had the pandemic not hit, we'd have also got to see a display in her action chops in Marvel's Black Widow. Now, you know, I don't know where that movie would go, but when you've got, a young talent with a statue of Florence Pugh. You know, I don't think it would be beyond the realms of possibility to see Kevin Feige luring her back and building a larger role around her in the future. So be interesting to see what happens when Black Widow is released later this year, if it is indeed released later this year. But um, yeah, Pugh-inspired, uh, tangent aside, Little Women itself, it's a real delight. And I, as I say, it's an age-old story told in a really fresh charming way now referring back to other films i've been a big fan of following the brilliant brilliant black Klansman, uh spike lee dropped his latest joint onto netflix with the five bloods this is his part vietnam part modern day drama about four black war vets who return to the country to recover the remains of their revered captain chadwick boseman uh, leaving another stately, engrossing performance in his rich legacy, as well as some hidden gold for their nest egg. And if I could say one thing about The Five Bloods is that you will simply not walk away shortchanged. Lee goes all out fusing buddy movie, satire, war movie, drama and playing out themes around ageing and the use of black soldiers during the Vietnam War and their sacrifice fighting someone who's not their enemy on behalf of the men whose ancestors enslaved them and this was at a point in time where the civil rights movement was only just sort of picking up steam it also goes into really kind of pertinent comments around racial equality and society today now it does shift tones and gears throughout particularly in the closing stages which to some might be a jarring swerve too many but i i found it done with such flair and, and real emotional pull as well i just i kind of felt found it irresistible uh this i've got to say is in no small part down to delroy lindo's furious forceful performance i personally i don't think we see enough of delroy lindo on our screens and this which is probably the role of his lifetime is a great reminder of what the man can do so hopefully in award season coming up, he gets some recognition because he is absolutely, you, know, you can't take your eyes off him. He's so, so good. Now, another film that was destined for release onto Netflix, but I was really fortunate to be able to catch in the cinema and uh, shout out to the brilliant Phoenix in Leicester. Literally cannot wait to get back there. Uh, was Uncut Gems. 
Now, this arrived into the UK on the back of some serious festival buzz and boasting a rare, serious Adam Sandler performance playing the gambling-addicted, fast-talking jewellery salesman Howard Ratner in uh, Benny and Josh Safdie's drama. Now, I appreciate this film is one that I appreciated more than I actively liked. I, I would, I would, it would absolutely be recommended. It's a but, it's a big, big but. It's a real experience of a movie that I would largely re- recommend to anyone, preferably those people that don't suffer with anxiety. <laughs> I'm not going to delve too deeply into the plot, but it's literally one of the tensest, most infuriating two hours of cinema you'll see. And that is entirely by design. And I mean, such as the skill of Sandler's performance in amongst that, that in spite of the fact that Howard is this grimy, low life making a series of bad choices, in spite of the audience's reflex to be repulsed by him, you oddly find yourself rooting for him. And again, it's a real skill in the case of the Safdie brothers that the film moves with such pace and such urgency that you really don't feel like you're giving yourself or you're getting that moment to breathe to take some respite in the film and yeah it's not for the faint-hearted emotionally but it's definitely worth a watch now the next couple of movies i'm going to throw onto this list make the list for two reasons firstly they have some nostalgic value to them for me Uh, And in both cases, I found them to be actually probably far more fun than I ever expected. Now, firstly, I'm going to say bringing back Will Smith and Martin Lawrence for Bad Boys for Life, I don't think was ever really assured to be a slam dunk. Now, when the first Bad Boys was released, it was kind of the perfect time in my life. It was 1995. I was 17. There we go. I'm aging myself. But for me, at the time, it was this, this really cool, funny, sweary, violent movie. It looked great. And at the time, heralded the arrival of uh, somebody who I think was quite exciting at the time, in Michael Bay, um, who cameos in Bad Boys for Life, appropriately enough. And this was before he made The Rock, which was probably his best film. But then his progressively louder and less likeable back catalogue kind of took over including, pertinently, uh, the far less good, and quite often I, I found quite unpleasant bad boys too. It was a bit of a grind by the end of it. But 25 years have passed since the original, but I rewatched it earlier in the year, and I still find it really entertaining, uh, with great chemistry between the two leads, as well as it holding that nostalgic place for me. And when we talk about bad boys for life, Will Smith still looks a man half his age, Martin Lawrence, not so much. But that does feed into the into the comedy of the film. But the reins directorially have been handed to Adil Al-Arbi and Bill Al-Falah, uh, whose influence, I think, you know, on the film, it pays deference to the previous films, but kind of keeps things fresh and funny, and the action is well shot, and it's, it's appropriately over the top. In terms of kind of straight-up entertainment this year, I don't think there has been an action film it's been just as, as fun as this, although I hope you know if they do decide to return to the franchise, it won't be quite so long next time. Now, the other one of my choices that also taps my little nostalgia nerve was Guy Rich's The Gentleman. Now, again, it arrived earlier on in the year, and 
you know, it's not one of the best things out there. But to a guy like myself that got a lot of mileage out of both lock, stock and snatch, the gentleman kind of felt like a comfortable old pair of socks. Uh, probably socks with some swears written on it. Now, it very much fits the Richie gangster MO, kind of the, the disparate story strands coming together. Some witty, amusing dialogue, particularly from a way, way against type Hugh Grant and a brilliant cameo from Colin Farrell. It just felt, as well as feeling familiar, it felt decent. And you know, following a less than great run of films, probably charitably safe for, <laughs> for Guy Ritchie, yeah, this felt like a bit of a step back in the right direction. Again, as I say, it's not the best thing out there, but I hold a, a kind of a, a bit of affection for it. Now, the last film on my list that I'm going to name check in this as a highlight for the year is literally just going to be a name check as we're going to be covering it in greater depth in the next episode uh, where you'll get to hear a full review of it is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, which was released onto Netflix last month. Uh, as I say, we're going to be talking in more detail. But, you know, if that's not reason enough to tune in next time to find out exactly what we do think of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, although it's a little bit of a spoiler that I quite enjoyed it. No, I don't know what it is. In fact, if you get the opportunity to watch Ma Rainey before the next episode, then tune in and see how your view of the film compares to ours. Come on, if that's not inspiration enough, what is? Now, before I bring us back into port, I'm just going to quickly sail past the fair island of movie score music that we know as Tracks of the Trade. Tracks is our rapidly growing Spotify playlist of pieces of score that we love or that you listeners love and have told us about. And so if you want to follow the playlist, there will be links on our social media. There are some at the moment uh, and I'll fill you in on those links at the end of the episode. So if you're interested in the playlist and can't find it, again, just drop me a line via one of our many social media channels and I'll wing you the link. So on with my choice for this time out. Now, I love me a bit of superhero music, and considering this is our ninth episode, uh, we've not had any superhero music yet, uh, so I think it's about time that that changes. So around these parts, we, I think, collectively have a lot of love for 2018's brilliant Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It was one of my picks during the Lockdown Film Festival earlier in the uh, last year, in 2020. And the score by Daniel Pemberton, I think, is just so fit into the film, infusing beats and hip hop and electronic and modern influence with the traditional, uh, you know, orchestral music. And throughout the film, there's this recurring kind of three note melody that is just the sort of goosebump inducing tune fitting of a hero of Miles's caliber. You know, the, that piece of music particularly is melded beautifully into the, uh, the brilliant centerpiece what's up danger sequence and it turns up again in the piece of music i picked for this week uh, which is called spider-man loves you and it's a really stirring rousing piece of music and like so much about into the spider-verse it just makes me grin if you've not had the pleasure and it is an absolute pleasure and i know i say this a lot please check it out and so we come to the end of the episode now, I'm not going to be doing a pitch battle because it's only me by myself and that wouldn't be quite as much fun. Uh, what I am going to do is I'm going to do my usual spiel around our social medias and the things that we hope you can do for us. Now, the first thing is if you are listening to this podcast, particularly via uh, Apple Podcasts or if you've managed to find us on Podchaser, please leave us a positive review. We have literally over seven five-star reviews we have eight 
five star reviews on Apple Podcasts at the moment. But you know, we'd love to know that you're enjoying the podcast. We'd love to know that you're listening and that you're out there. You know, we've been really happy to see that the little download counter has been going up. But we'd love to hear more from you. Give us feedback. We we very much welcome it. If you want to give us feedback, there are a number of ways of doing it. The first thing that you could do is you could follow us on Twitter. It's at MSMRpod. Give us a follow there and we'll say hello and come and say hello to us. Uh, we are also on Facebook. So if you search on Facebook for Monkey See Monkey Review and ask to join the group and I will let you in. Additionally, we're also on Instagram where we post up odd little bits of movie news, things that we're watching, things that we're talking about, and letting you know about the new podcasts when they're up and running. If you search on Instagram for Monkey See Monkey Review, you'll be able to find us on there. We're also on email, uh, which is at msmrpod at gmail.com. So please uh, drop us an email if you fancy doing it that way. And finally, if you are on Spotify and you're interested in the Tracks of the Trade playlist, if you just search for Tracks of the Trade or Monkey See Monkey Review on there, and you should be able to find the links. I'm also on Letterboxd, so if you want to know what I'm up to and what I'm watching, I am Scotty MSMR, so that's Scotty, which is spelt with an IE, MSMR. Again, give us a follow and uh, give us feedback, and that would be great. And that brings us to the end of the first podcast of 2021. We're close to our one year anniversary. So I just want to say thank you to everybody that supported us during 2020. And we hope to carry along with us into 2021. We hope that you have a very, very safe, happy and fantastic 2021. And uh, yeah, just keep enjoying those films. And again, thank you so, so much for your support. And just keep talking to us. Keep giving us feedback. We love to hear it. All the best.